Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast. My name is Scott. I'm your, well, host and guest this episode. We'll, we'll more, have more on that in just a moment. Uh, as you uh, may know, if you've listened to the podcast before, this is where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center and in the public cloud. As always, the purpose here is to uh, educate uh, listeners, to share practical, usable, real-world information on various technologies and products, and uh, to hopefully equip you to continue on your journey of uh, education and learning in your career as an IT professional. So joining me today, I have uh, Drew Connery-Murray, also with the Packet Pushers, and we have a bit of a unique podcast for you today as we wrap up 2018 with a special year-end episode. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm good, Scott. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining me. So why don't you fill the listeners in on the special uh, treat that we have for them on this episode? Yeah, so I reached out to Scott and said, hey, I thought it would be a cool idea if uh, someone interviewed you because you've been talking to, uh, this will be, I think, episode 28, so almost 30 episodes of talking to other people about their full stack journey, but you've been in IT, enterprise IT for a long time. You've got a lot of insights. You've done a lot of things across your career, and I thought, we should find out what Scott's been up to and what his journey's been like. So I, I pitched him on the idea just you know, to let folks know you're not an egomaniac that you didn't, let's talk about me. <laughs> this, is, this is all my idea. Uh, and, and you agreed, and so we worked up some questions, and we're going to uh, get inside your head. Ooh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of scary, <laughs> getting inside my head. But hey, we'll, get, we'll give it a try, and we'll have some fun with it. And then uh, listeners, if you uh, let us know what you think about it, uh, you know, give us uh, some feedback on iTunes or one of the other platforms. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, so, all right. Well, then, Drew, I'll turn it over to you, and uh, you fire away, and I'll do my best to answer the questions. Okay, great. So I think People probably most likely know you as a virtualization expert. You've written books uh, about virtualization, particularly about vSphere. You've worked at VMware. You've spoken at, at conferences on the subject. Uh, but looking at your bio, you've also done storage work. You've got Microsoft experience. You were a system administrator. So I thought, let's level set, and you can walk us briefly through your tech background and all the different disciplines that you've touched. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, you mentioned I, I've been in, in the IT industry for a while. I think when I look back, I, I kind of consider my... First IT job taking place in probably uh, 93 mm -hmm. um, It's when I really started focusing on technology. And uh, so that makes, you know, what, 25 years, somewhere yep. there, yep. Um, which is a really long time. And now I feel old. Um, <laughs> in internet but, age, that makes you <laughs> really old. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, but I have, I've done a lot of different things. You're right. Um, so early in my career, I, I did focus on Microsoft. I was a Microsoft certified trainer. So I did the Microsoft official curriculum back in the NT35 um, and uh, 351 and 4.0 days and the Windows 98 stuff uh, when Windows 98 first came out um, in, in 95, or well, Windows 95 when it first came out in 95, sorry. Um, and uh, so I did that for a while and really enjoyed technical instruction. And I think that spending those years, uh, first, first few years of my career, focusing on sort of teaching other people how stuff worked really shaped a lot of the rest of my career and the, the approach that I've taken in a lot of different areas. Yeah, I'm seeing kind of a through line here. <laughs> yeah, you might, right. Um, and so from there, I went to work as a, uh, for a reseller and was doing, you know, on-site implementations for customers and continued that for a few years. Um, and, and it, you know, if, if listeners, if you work at a, at a reseller, you kind of know you're a, a mile wide and an inch deep, like you touch everything, Right. So, you know, whatever the customer needs, that's what you're, you're working on. You don't really ever have time to go super deep on anything. Uh, but um, I ran my own consulting firm for about five years in the oh. early 2000s. 
Um, and again, just, you know, supporting small, medium businesses in the area where I lived at the time. And then after that, I joined a reseller again, but that's when I really started focusing on VMware um, really, really heavily. And that was in 2006. I had been using VMware's products before that for a few years. And uh, in 2006, I got hired and they want, they said, we want you to be the VMware guy. And so I did that for a few years. And from there, you know, as, as you mentioned, Drew, I did 2009, I published Mastering vSphere 4 and then uh, went to work at EMC in 2009 or 2010 after publishing the book in 2009, published Mastering vSphere 5 in 2011. Um, and then did a few other books here and there. And in 2013, I joined VMware. Um, but less to focus on vSphere, which had been my primary focus from there, more to focus on the networking side. Uh -huh. um, and of course, prior to that, I'd been working at EMC, so I touched a lot of storage stuff. And I'd also been involved in the early days of, the, of, uh, of you know, what eventually became VCE. So I had touched uh, Cisco UCS and a lot of compute platforms. Um, joining VMware in 2013, I, I started focusing more on networking because we were building out NSX. And I also, at that point, got pulled into a lot of open source stuff in helping to support open vSwitch, which was a core component of NSX on non vSphere platforms. And that got me pulled, you know, kind of back into Linux, which I had touched in the, in the mid nineties and uh, spent a bunch of time in, in um, working with that and, and just kind of deepening my own Linux skills, spent some time with OpenStack. Um, and then, you know, most recently um, earlier this year left VMware to focus on the cloud native stuff and, and, I uh, went to work for a small startup called Heptio, which listeners are probably familiar with because uh, last <laughs> week or a week before last, it was announced that VMware was acquiring Heptio. So now I'm, <laughs> I'm headed back to VMware. Welcome back, um, Scott. But this time, oh, thank you so much. But this time with a focus on containers and Kubernetes and 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 uh, sort of cloud native stuff. So um, that's, you know, kind of like all over. Um, but, you know, you alluded to it all throughout my career. I've, I've had this this desire to sort of make it easier for other people to take the stuff that I learn and then and provide it back and say, hey, here's here's how this thing works and here's how you can put it to work and, and that sort of thing. And, I, and again, I think that's shaped by my time doing technical instruction when I first uh, first started my career. So I'm curious. I, so I mentioned that through line of of you being uh, somebody who seems to lean toward instruction, toward helping others, toward sharing knowledge, and that's clear. And you know, being a trainer and writing books and blogging and so on. Um, and so if you're going to do that kind of thing, you have to have some degree of depth of knowledge, which, you know, you gain through working and, and learning how to be an instructor and so on. But then switching to consulting and also to being a reseller, it sounds like you also then had to go broad. So you, you've got sort of both. You've got that, I, I don't know if you call it, you know, uh, that pitchfork or trident shaped skill set where you can go deep on some and a little bit less deep on others, but you've got a, a knowledge base across a variety of industries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's probably only a couple areas where I could really, really go deep. vSphere would be one, and I'm working on making Kubernetes and containers the other. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I mean, just in in the course of what I've done, and in the course of being a reseller and spending time working on all kinds of things from fiber channel sands to iSCSI storage arrays to you know, who knows whatever, right? Um, vSphere and all kinds of stuff in between. Yeah, you do get pulled in a lot of different directions, and so you do end up having. Um, a broad sort of view of what's happening. And then um, you end I'm, up developing some deeper skills. I'm curious what that experience is like to feel like I'm in the zone yet with this Microsoft training. I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I've got a deep knowledge base. And then to be thrown into the reseller world where you've got to touch a lot of different things. What was that experience going from the deep to the wide? 
Uh, you know, it was, it was, um, it wasn't as bad as like jumping in the pool. You know, I mean, it, it sounds as, as we talk about it, it sounds like it's just like, Oh, all of a sudden, you know, one day it's different. Right. But I was working for this company doing, um, Microsoft certified curriculum and, and doing the training. And then I went to work for, um, a, a reseller and the reseller had an agreement with another training company. So they would bring their engineers who were doing the work actually to come in and do some of the classes, which I thought was very cool because you're saying, here's some folks who have actually done it in the real world and they're going to come in and they're going to talk about it. Right. Uh-huh. And actually teach people how to do it, which I, I found enormously valuable. So it was, it was sort of a, uh, a shallow entry cause I, I, I continued doing training and then I ramped up on, you know, doing the stuff in the field. And, and at that time, you know, it was all active directory and, and, you know, exchange and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the early projects that I did when I was working for the reseller was helping customers do, Oh, Hey, you know, we're going to migrate to, um, well, see, at that point, it would have been a little earlier. So before my uh, Active Directory uh, really hit, um, it would have been, you know, hey, we're, we're rolling out Windows NT Server. Or we're migrating uh-huh. from Novell to Windows NT or, you know, things like that. We're rolling out Windows 95 or, or Windows NT Workstation to a bunch of clients. And so it was still kind of very much in that same space. Okay. Um, and then it wasn't until early 2000s when I was running my own consulting firm that um, I sort of forced myself to say, hey, I got to get out of this Microsoft thing because while this is cool and I was doing things like worldwide Active Directory migrations for organizations, right? I mean, it was just neat stuff. Um, I said, you know, I need, I, need to, I need to sort of broaden my skill set, just quote unquote, the Microsoft guy. I need to be able to do something else. And so I forced myself to start looking at, at VMware, um, you know, uh, so it was GSX server at the time and uh-huh. then later ESX server, which became... ESXi and vSphere. Uh, and that also took me into some Linux stuff and various other places. If you look back on my web 2005, 2006 days, you'll see all kinds of weird stuff happening. <laughs> what, what prompted that? That's well, what spurred you to go and decide I've got to force myself. I, Cause I think when I think about people having to learn new technology skills, there's a couple of drivers. One is curiosity. I'm just interested in this thing and I want to go explore and play. And the other is anxiety. Like I need to stay relevant. I, maybe I want to change careers or I just want to make sure that if things change under me, I'm prepared. So what, what, what spurred you to, to make you say, I, I've got this comfortable gig, but I got to, I got to learn other things. Um, I think it was probably a, a combination of all the things you mentioned. So first of all, I'm, I'm naturally curious and I, and I want to learn. And that's kind of always the way I've been. And so I, I saw these other things out there and I was like, hey, this is really cool. Um, I also wanted to be able to, uh, at the time running my own consulting firm, I was working with small businesses and I wanted to be able to make recommendations to them for things that uh, were alternatives to sort of, you know, the, the standard thing, which is a Microsoft solution. So if a customer said, hey, we need to be able to do blah, I wanted to be able to say, okay, well, we can go with Exchange, you know, and you can do this or, hey, we can, we can run Linux and, you know, I can do DoveCod and PostFix for you, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there's pros and cons both ways. This is a little more expensive, but it's kind of got this, you know, commercial entity behind it. And this is, hey, sort of, quote unquote, free, but, you know, there's some support, you know, costs, you're going to have it. And, and there's a certain level of selfishness there in that if I got them onto that open source thing, then I was the one on the hook to support it. And so <laughs> I kind of had job security, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so it was a little, a little bit of the curiosity. I wanted to learn these things. It was some feeling like I needed to have a, a, a broader toolbox to give uh-huh. my customers, many of whom at that time were small businesses and just didn't have sort of the big budgets that, you know, mega corporations have. Um, but I think there was also at that time, it felt like Microsoft maybe was on the decline, 
right? And so I was mm-hmm. a little concerned that, okay, this, you know, this Microsoft thing was great while I was doing it, but now like everybody and their brother is an MCP or an MCSE and it doesn't really sort of have the same, you know, value, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I need to, I need to kind of differentiate myself in some way. Wow. So based on my perspective, you've got some good instincts for the next big thing because you pivoted to to VMware, which was a pretty good call. Uh, and now <clears throat> you mentioned earlier, you just went to Heptio, a startup based around Kubernetes. Uh, so pretty good calls there. Well, thank you. <laughs> I've gotten lucky. <laughs> so I saw a video you did with Keith Townsend about one of the reasons you went to Heptio. Um, and as I mentioned, it's all about Kubernetes. And you said, you thought, well, I got to take my own advice and get out of my own comfort zone. So what was that process like? How did you ramp up your learning going from sort of being the VMware person to Kubernetes, which is essentially brand new? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. And again, it sounds like it's this sudden shift. But if you, you know, I've, I've been blogging throughout this entire process. I mean, like I've been blogging since 2005. And, and if you f- sort of follow the content on the site, you'll see these shifts in my thinking and in the technologies where I'm focusing. And so in, in, in 2012, like late 2011, uh, or into 2012, I, um, I, I, I had this feeling like, I'm like, Hey, you know, this thing around open flow and open V switch and open stack, mm-hmm. like there's something going on here. And there was a thread that I was pulling all those things together and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And so I started digging into all this stuff. And trying to figure out like what is this thing that's linking all of this, and that kind of got me into the whole SDN space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which of course prepared me for that move to to VMware to, to focus on SDN as part of the NSX team. Mm-hmm. And then in in you know like 2014, 2015, right in that space, you'll see oh I'm talking about Docker and I'm talking about um, you know uh, IPv LAN networking and Mac VLAN networking and these other things. Right. So, because I'm exploring, I'm like, Hey, here's, here are these containers coming on the, on the scene with Linux. And this is a really interesting thing, but you know, this is going to affect networking. So how's it happening and that sort of thing. And so I begin to explore that and that exposes you to these other things that are happening so that when the time finally did come that it, it felt like I, in order to grow, I needed to challenge myself and step out of the role that I was in into Heptio it wasn't um, as sudden or as um, drastic as it may sound. I'd already spent some time familiarizing myself with Docker, familiarizing myself with Linux, uh-huh. um, understanding some of the networking concepts, understanding what Kubernetes uh, was doing. And obviously there's a, a level of magnitude now, you know, much deeper in Kubernetes and all of the intricacies that are involved now than I was then, but it wasn't as dramatic as it may sound, you know, like I know the video sort of Keith is, is he's good at, at, um, you know, like for lack of a better term, hype, right. Um, <laughs> he's, t- he's telling a good story. Right. I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> he's a good storyteller. That, that's a good way of putting it. And so he makes it sound like, Oh, there's this dramatic change night and day sort of thing. Right. And it, it really wasn't that bad. And you can sort of see again, the shifts in my thinking and how things follow and, and the sort of the technologies that I'm exploring and then I'm explaining to others through my website and through other, you know, mechanisms. So, um, so I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah. So let me read it back to you. But what I got was there are these ancillary areas, you see new things starting to bubble up. And so this, this curiosity that you've had and that's guided you in your career, you started to explore, you, you poked around, you saw how they were related to what you were doing and you saw potential new ways that things could be done. And that spurred more of your curiosity. So you kept going down this role and you were already in, it was it was already touching areas that you were involved in, but you found new things that you could learn about, like containers and 
and Linux and how it related to the networking stuff you were doing. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that, you know, uh, it appears from the outside that these shifts were very drastic, but in, in reality, it, it really was about finding sort of adjacent areas and then being able to gradually expand those adjacencies, using those to build a bridge from area one to area two, mm -hmm. right? Going from vSphere to Linux and finding similarities in hypervisors, for example, as I explored how vSphere worked, you know, I tried to find equivalent ways of doing it in KVM, right? And looking at orchestration, you know, leads you into OpenStack. And then, you know, looking at networking leads you into Open vSwitch, which is OpenFlow, which, you mm -hmm. know, leads you into SDN. And, and I mean, like you can see this thread of, of how I follow adjacent areas from one to the other, um, partially from curiosity, partially from knowing that the industry is relentless and it's always moving. And as individuals, and this is one of the things that I wanted to try and accomplish with the podcast is to give folks some sort of practical advice on how they can continue to move forward. Because if you don't, if you're not moving forward, you're being left behind. Okay. And one takeaway then I would put a stake in here then is that start with ancillary areas, start with areas that are sort of adjacent or close to what you're already doing. Yeah, absolutely. And this has come up with other guests on the show from time to time um, is, you know, you, you can move into an entirely new area. And sometimes that's necessary, but more often than not, you'll find it most effective to say, okay, here, I'm currently being a storage admin and I hear this cloud thing. So where does this touch me? And so you begin to explore things like object storage mm -hmm. and storage gateways and, um, you know, uh, those types of things, you block storage, file storage, how the, the how the cloud providers affect you and, and that sort of thing, right? And you, you can take your expertise in that, right? Because you know all about IOPS and disk groups and arrays and access protocols and all that. You can take your expertise and just sort of expand that into these other areas because what you have is valuable and it helps build. Um, you just, you're just expanding your understanding. You're just building on it in a new way. And then once you move into that, then you can say, oh, well, now I'm in this cloud space and I know about cloud storage and how this can be used for my employer or my customers, whatever the case is. What's this whole, you know, other thing, orchestration automation happening? And then you begin to move from there and so on and so forth. Okay, so that, that's the ancillary or adjacent uh, idea. But on the flip side, as you had to learn, were there concepts or ideas that you had to let go of or that were unfamiliar to you or that were maybe impeding your acquisition of new knowledge and new understanding? Uh, yeah, I mean, in some cases, uh, uh, you know, if you get into a particular way of, like, we'll take, we'll take you know, thinking about VMs and containers, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think this is something that a lot of people are, 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 I would say, struggling with, but they're, they're at that juncture where they're saying, okay, I hear all this stuff about containers, what does this mean? I'm used to doing VMs. What does this mean to me, right? And the most common form of thinking is to say, oh, well, a VM, a container is a lightweight VM. But that's carrying over that, that concept from where you were. And, and if you do carry that concept over, it does provide a bridge for some learning, but it also constrains you in really understanding the full power of what you could do with a container and how it would be best utilized versus how you might utilize a VM, right? And, and with all these technologies in my mind, and, and I try to stress this as well, is it's, it's never about you know, one or the other, it's about both because each of them have their strengths and their weaknesses and their ideal use cases. Mm -hmm. um, and so you do have to let go of certain concepts as you move into these new things. And like in the container space, you have to realize that when you're talking VMs, you're talking uh, infrastructure artifacts, right? A VM is, a, is an artifact of, 
uh, or a thing that represents compute and memory and storage, right? Mm -hmm. When you start moving into containers, you're talking about application artifacts. These are artifacts of code and, and components that run, right? And, and they're not, these two things aren't the same, right? They, they are, they're very different. The way you approach them is different. The way you manage them is different. The way that you think about them is different. And they're complementary. Um, so you do have to sort of let go of some of those things in order to really embrace the full potential of what this new thing is you're learning. So if you just tried to build an application in a container environment the exact same way you would build it on a VM, you would miss out on some of the benefits that would come with doing it in a container environment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go install a web server. You know, I have a business unit, needs a web server. I'm going to do this in, a, in an EC2 instance, and I'm going to go, so I'm going to spin up the EC2 instance, and I'm going to install Nginx, and I'm going to configure SSH, and da-da-da. And then you go over to the container world, and you're like, okay, I hear this container. I need to put in Nginx, and I need to put in SSH daemon. Well, now I need a, an init process to manage these processes. And that's entirely the wrong way to think about it, because, <laughs> you know, we don't SSH into a container. Um, <laughs> you know, we, just, we just run the container, and then we observe the logs coming out of the container to see what's happening, right? Or you exec a service, you know, you exec a bash shell inside the container if you need to get in and poke around. So, yeah, you do have to sort of think about these things differently. Um, you can use these these similar, these adjacent technologies early on to help you build a, a bridge onto it, onto that new area. But you also, you have to be prepared to drop those concepts or expand and build upon them um, at some point. Okay, so don't hold too closely to what you've already got. That's correct. Be open to new ideas. Imagine that. Hey, so your work at Heptio kind of puts you smack in the middle of the cloud native movement. Uh, and from my perspective, it seems like cloud and also open source, they're really, if not consuming IT, certainly cracking open IT and, and giving IT new ways to think about things and do things. If I'm, say, a network engineer or a storage person, cloud and open source may not seem you know, really tightly related to what I do day to day. Is that a fair perception? Um, I think, I think for, for now, um, I would, I would split, I would split cloud and open source in two different ways. Right. Mm. So let, let's talk about cloud first. I think that regardless of your role today, whether you are a network engineer or a storage professional or somebody's focusing on, you know, compute, um, or whatever, I think cloud is going to impact you. Right. Um, I, I made the, the analogy earlier, you know, like here, uh, I'm a storage the administrator, and I'm accustomed to managing, you know, on-premises storage arrays, right? The reality is that more and more stuff is going to be moving into object storage in the cloud. You're going to need to understand block storage and file storage and object storage, um, not only because your, your company is probably going to leverage some of those from a public cloud provider, but there may be platforms coming in on-premises that uh, into your data center that uh, provide this functionality, right? And, and so developers are going to say, hey, I want to have an object storage platform and I want to reference these objects, you know, by a URL. Um, so that's one example uh, from a networking professional's perspective. You know, network professionals know all the intricate details of how to set up, you know, a big layer three network and all that kind of stuff, right? But the reality is, as you move into the public cloud, you need to understand things like Azure VNets and, and AWS VPCs, right? Um, and this doesn't supplant, or I shouldn't say supplant, this doesn't replace the existing networking knowledge you have. This is just an extension of that. This is just okay, I know how to do networking on-premises. Now I need to know how to do networking on the public cloud, right? It's just an extension of that. Um, and and, and I, I say that because the reality is that, you know, more and more workloads are moving and will move to the public cloud. It, it just, that's just how it is, right? Yeah, it seems very much like it's going there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it, it is going to happen. 
And, and so from my perspective, like, Hey, just embrace the change and, and roll with it. Now, when it comes to open source, um, I'm, I'm a little more conservative there. I, I, I am obviously heavily involved in open source, um, in, in, in less in terms of like a code contributor, but more in terms of like, you know, helping people understand how to use it and, and where to put it to work in their organization. And I think that open source will have the same impact in cloud. I just think maybe it's a few years behind. Um, and so it may not be as urgent uh, for folks to understand that that perspective of it immediately. Um, I think if I'm I were curi- a curious why professional you, or a storage professional. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm, curious why, I'm curious why you think that because it seems like uh, open source is, well, it's been around longer. Um, it, folks have had more of an opportunity to embrace it and we're seeing it crop up across the, you know, the, that sort of full stack spectrum, whether it's a, an open networking OS that you can put on a switch or some open storage protocols like Ceph from Red Hat and so on, that, that it seems like it, it's almost easier to touch uh, for an IT pro. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, the movement that we see about open network operating systems, um, you know, aka Cumulus and others, um, that's, that's obviously very interesting. But I, the interesting thing there is, is like that is, it is open source, but it, in, it, also, it also hides open source in some ways, right? Mm, like, okay. mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of the organizations are using open, a lot of the vendors and, 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 and companies are using open source to build their products. So they may be running Linux underneath it, but a lot of times they're building a UI on top of it or a custom CLI in front of it so that you don't have to worry about, you know, what it looks like underneath, right? I mean, I know right. early on, and I haven't talked to the folks at Cumulus in a while, but I know early on it was like, hey, you know, log into your, your, you know, your Cumulus Linux powered switch and then configure, you know, Etsy interfaces to control switch ports. And that's cool if you, if you know Linux, like that's a piece of cake, right? But then I believe they added this, this CLI that makes it easier now to go yes. and do that. And so you have, <laughs> exactly. So now they have this way of doing this that, you know, kind of hides some of that complexity, right? And um, so I think that from that perspective, that's why, Open source, it's 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 going to have an impact, but I think from a from the perspective of the effect it will have on people's skill sets, I think that's going to be a little farther behind, right? Um, also, the the role of open source in like on premises storage platforms is you know you, it may be in the product, right? They may be building their storage OS on Linux, but they're definitely going to be putting a GUI or some other kind of piece in front of it rather than saying, oh, here, go in and configure your LVMs directly. So, Right. Okay. That makes sense. So, all right. Understanding that cloud is coming, uh, there's no way to avoid this wave. Do you have advice on how folks might be able to decide where to invest their learning and resource budgets, whether in time or money or whatever? Um, so that one of the issues I think that folks have with learning something new is that it seems like every three months there's a new flavor, a new hotness, a new du jour technology, and then it's gone or it doesn't catch or it, so, so, and then all that time you spent may be wasted. How do, how do I know if something's got legs, if something's going to stick and it's worth my time? Yeah. And that's a difficult, it, it, it truly is difficult. And, and really the only advice I can, I can provide with regards to that specifically, and then I'll get into sort of where I think people might, where it might be valuable for people to invest their time. But in terms of like determining what's going to stick, the only advice I can say there is um, it's called the bleeding edge for a reason. Right? <laughs> um, and so if, if you don't have the time, if you don't have the budget and, and, and I'm glad you, you put in not just money, but time and effort and energy and focus and all that, if you don't have the, 
the extra resources to spend to deal with that constantly shifting landscape, then just like take a step back this three to four months, right? And you see something come out and you're like, okay, cool. Don't worry about it for a few months and see whether it really gains the traction that it needs to have some sort of more lengthy life cycle than just a flash in the pan and now it's gone. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds weird because I'm, I'm, you know, as a, as the host of the podcast usually, um, and, and telling people, Hey, you need to evolve you need to grow. Um, but you also need to do, you also need to be smart about it. Like we don't have time to learn everything. We don't have time to learn all the various things that might ever pique our interest. We have to be, um, we have to be smart about where we invest our effort and our attention and our energy. And if you can't afford to live on that bleeding edge because it changes so much, then just take a step back from it a little bit and let somebody else take those, those hits, right? Let somebody else get and, bloody. Yes. Yeah. And let somebody else get bloody. Right. And, and then, and then look at it and say, Oh, okay. So this, this Docker thing, you know, okay. Maybe you didn't get into it, you know, then back in 2013, 2014, whatever it was, <laughs> um, you know, now look at it and say, okay, it's got enough momentum. I'm a couple of years behind curve, quote unquote, behind the, the, the curve. Right. But that's okay. Because, you know, a lot of these things have been sorted out. I can get more reliable information. You know, the vendor space is sort of shaking itself out. That's, that's cool. Right. Um, so be intelligent about it. Um, and, and these are, this just allows you to let somebody else do a little bit of that work for you because there are folks who do live at the bleeding edge. That's their job. Yeah. And, and, and so they will help you. You can leverage them to help you understand what's going to stick around and what's not. Unless you're the kind of person that needs to be like, I was in containers back in 2013, man. Then, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and if you're one of those people, then you understand that being in containers in 2013, when Docker first came on the scene, you know, that's cool. Right. And some people are, are able to manage being on that bleeding edge and establish a, a niche for themselves on that bleeding edge and, um, and, and be very successful there. And that's fine. Some, some, some listeners will, will be that way. Right. But I think a lot of listeners are going to be like, Hey, that's cool. Let me just let it sit, sit for six months. And then I'll come back to it after these other, you know, early adopters have figured out what's going on and where it's best used. And then I can begin to invest. Okay. So I'm going to invoke um, one of my favorite authors, Douglas Adams. Don't panic. Exactly. Yeah. Don't panic. It's all good. <laughs> okay. That's nice. That's a, that's actually, um, that's not a message we hear very often. Yeah. No, I mean, like, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of making sure that as IT professionals, we are constantly growing and changing, but I don't want you to go out there and learn something just for the sake of learning it. I want you to go out there and invest your time and energy in something that's going to make your career, uh, both more fulfilling to you and more successful, right? Um, so you take the time to do your due diligence. Take your time to let the, the, the bleeding edge adopters figure out what works and what doesn't work and, and what's going to make sense. And, and then go and invest your time and your energy and your attention for something that does make sense for you, for where you are as, a, as an employee, for what your company needs to go. Now, back to the earlier part of that, which was, okay, fine where should I be investing, you know, right now, right? Um, especially with regards to cloud. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing in, 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 in cloud isn't that the concepts are fundamentally different than what you're doing now in on-premises data centers. I mean, let's face it, a, a VM running on vSphere is not all that different than an EC2 instance running on AWS, which is not all that different from an Azure VM running in Azure or an instance running on GCP, 
right? The concepts are largely the same. What's different is the operational model, which much more heavily embraces automation. And, um, and so I think that, to be honest, the, the, the most natural starting place, I think, for a lot of folks is embracing how can I leverage automation um, to do what I'm doing today and then use that automation as the bridge into new concepts, right? So, for example, let's say you're a VMware administrator um, at, a, at a corporation, an enterprise. You guys have got a big vSphere installation and you're saying, hey, I need to learn about this AWS stuff, right? Uh-huh. And I don't know what's going on with AWS. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, what do I need to do, right? Start with saying, okay, how can I automate what I'm doing in vSphere, right? How can I use tools like Terraform or, um, you know, uh, Power CLI or something like that, right? To, to automate what I'm doing. And then as you begin to look at how those things can be automated, you can then use that automation framework as a way to say, now, how would I do that in AWS, right? Um, and so you're, you're both making yourself more effective at your current job and you're providing a built-in bridge to a new technology because then you can say, after I know how to do this in AWS, well, how do I do it in Azure? Right? Okay, that makes sense because you're working in an environment that you're already familiar with. Uh, you're, you're improving your efficiency and your output and your value by gaining some new skills again in this familiar environment. And then you're finding ways to bridge that into the new thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And then once you do bridge into a new area and like, let's say, okay, you get a good, pretty good feel for using, I'm a, a huge fan of Terraform. So I'd say, hey, okay, I'm, I'm a guy, you know, I, I figured out how to use Terraform to, to automate a lot of my, my vSphere stuff. Now I'm going to start using, figuring out, okay, how do I do the same thing in AWS? And then from there you can begin to say, oh, okay well, I know how to do this with EC2. Um, what about S3 or what about EBS or what about, um, you know, some other service? And, and then, you, you know, again, it's about finding those adjacent areas and it, it kind of expanding into those adjacent areas, building upon what you already know and then adding to it. And then once you have those concepts down, we talked about this in another episode of, of try to focusing on, on the, the concepts and the fundamentals rather than the implementation details, right? So instead of focusing on the specifics of, you know, how the AWS API works to instantiate an EC2 instance, you say, oh, well, here's how I go about automating, spinning up an instance. And then you can take that concept and say, okay, well, I needed authentication credentials, for example, to do this in AWS. I also am going to need authentication credentials if I'm going to do this in Azure, or I'm going to need authentication credentials if I do this in GCP. Uh You have the concept down. Now you can look at the specific details of how you would go about doing that. And that allows you to selectively choose the base that you're going to stand upon as you expand into that new area while also, you know, continuing to be effective in what you're doing today. Cause let's face it, we all have day jobs. Nobody has time to sit around and just learn all the time. <laughs> so, right. Okay. A couple more questions since I've got you and I can just run this show myself. Um, when did you decide that you were ready to start sharing knowledge, whether it was teaching, writing, uh, speaking, doing a YouTube video? When, when did you figure out, okay, I think I've got enough information here that I can actually risk <laughs> exposing myself and putting it out in the public? You know, I actually don't know that I've still figured that out because it's something that I <laughs> wrestle with even now. I think it was easier in 2005 and 2006 when I was, quote unquote, an unknown and I could write. And if I was just totally wrong, then it didn't matter because like, so what, right? He's just mm-hmm. some random guy wrong on the internet. And well, there's a million of those, right? <laughs> um, unless you're XKCD and well, anyway, that's a different story. Sure, that's a, yeah. Um, yeah. 
but now, you know, have sort of a following and, and people who look at it and they, they expect a certain level of technical um, excellence out of what I'm doing. I think uh, the, the answer that I've come to now is when I, I can start writing something for me, writing is the natural way by which I express myself. And that's not true for everyone. Right. Some folks will do much better with a video. Some folks will do much better with um, some other mechanism. Right. But for me, writing is very natural. Um, and uh, it, it's sort of my preferred uh, way of, of sharing information. So um, there have been many, many occasions more than I can count while I will try to, to master a new concept and I'll, and I'll be like, Oh, okay, this is cool. I got this. And so I'll start a blog post about how this thing is. And I get part of the way into the blog post, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, something's not quite right here. Like I can't quite put in the words how to do that. And so for me, the blogging is actually sort of a, uh, um, an understanding check, right? If Absolutely. I can write a blog post Absolutely. about it and I can explain it clearly, then I, then I have reached the appropriate level of, of mastery and understanding. Right. But if I'm struggling with how to explain something or how to make it clear to someone else then I still have work to do on my own level. I found that to be very true with, in my own experience, uh, writing about technology for many years, that the quickest way to figure out whether I've actually understood something is to try to write about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, part of the reason, you know, I blog so much is, is not just to share information, although that is certainly part of why I do it because I want to help other people, um, but it's also a check for me. Like if I write, I, I mean, like my hard drive is littered with blog posts that, you know, like <laughs> died in the graveyard of like, I never quite got to that level of mastery to actually get this done. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just how it is. And then the ones that actually made it out are the ones like, oh, okay, I understand this well enough. I can explain it. Sure. And then there's, sometimes there's just the ones that like, I found something cool and it's not really like, uh, it's not really uh, an amazing technical insight. It's just, Hey, I found this really neat utility. Give it a look, right? So, okay. So, uh, I th I think my general takeaway then is, if you feel like you've got something to say, try to say it. See what happens. Take a risk. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's a great way of summarizing it. And and then just recognize that you know if you do try writing and it doesn't quite fit for you, then maybe the written word isn't the right vehicle for you. Maybe it's a YouTube video. Maybe it's a whiteboard. Maybe it's something else. And there's lots of ways to do that. Lots of ways for people to both share information to make it easier for others, as well as to sort of give themselves that knowledge check. Did I really master this yet? Okay. Uh, the second part of that is what makes you keep going? Because there are a lot of people who start blogs or videos or podcasts, but far fewer who actually persist through, you know, a handful of posts, episodes, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think this really goes back to what I was saying when I, when we first started and that is those years of spending as an instructor, um, early on in my career really shaped that thread and how I go about how I view technology and how I view how my understanding and knowledge of technology should be handled. Um, I think I'm just, I don't want to say I'm hardwired, but it's just, there's, there's a fundamental part of me that derives um, satisfaction in my role from knowing that I was able to help others in some way, right? Mm -hmm. There's, and if you've ever been an instructor, you know, there's this rush of, of like, you know, excitement, energy, whatever term you want to use when you get up and you explain to something and then you see the light bulb go on in their head and light, go off, light bulb go off in their head. And they're like, Oh, 
I understand it. It's, it's blah, 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 blah. And you're like, exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it's just this huge rush, right? Now, I don't ever see the light bulbs go off when people read my blog posts, but <laughs> I do get feedback from folks, right? And, and, and people will hit me on Twitter and say, hey, I, I read your blog post and I didn't really understand it until I read it. And then it was just so useful. And, and so it's that knowing that in some form or fashion, somebody out there benefits from what I'm doing. And that is enough for me, at least, to keep going. Not everyone, it works the same way, of course. Um, but the, the real trick to going, if you're going to be a, you know, a YouTuber or vlogger or whatever that term is, or a, somebody who writes or whatever, the, whatever your, your chosen venue is, even as an author to, to write published books, you have to find whatever kind of sort of drives you, like what, what makes it valuable for you and then, and then leverage that to keep the energy going. Otherwise you will, you'll burn out and, and you'll give it up and you'll be like, I oh, forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I think that's key. You have to think about doing it for yourself and the audience isn't necessarily secondary, but what's going to be driving it is you and your own interest and your own passion and your own attention. Uh, and if there's an audience for it, it will develop, uh, but it has to come from you. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So speaking of which, I think we're probably about out of time. If folks want to find your blog, read your books, where should they go? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my blog is at blog.scottlow.org. I'm I'm very, very imaginative in that way. Um, (laughs) And uh, that's where it's been since 2005. And I figured, heck, it's been 13 years. I might as well just leave it there now. And um, and then I'm on Twitter, uh, which is really only other social media platform that I use. I'm uh, at Scott underscore low uh, on Twitter. You can follow me or interact with me there. Um, and then, uh, books, uh, the last book that I wrote was one that I did with Jason Edelman and Matt Oswalt, uh, which was an O'Reilly book, uh, network programmability and automation. All the rest of the books that I've wrote, um, are now, uh, you know, if you want to collect them, they're good for the bookshelf, but otherwise they're just, they're, they're not, they're out of date <laughs> old. Right. Um, but the mastering vSphere series is carried on by Nick Marshall, who just released mastering vSphere six, seven, um, the latest update to that book and, and uh, the word that I've gotten from readers who have read it is that it's outstanding. So if you are a, a VMware person and you want a good reference, then I definitely recommend um, that uh, title by Nick and others. All right. And don't, of course, forget that you can hear Scott interviewing other folks about their journeys on the Full Stack Journey podcast. Absolutely. Which is available off the Packet Pushers website and on Twitter at, at FSJ Podcast. All right, Scott, well, why don't you take us home? All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks uh, listeners for joining us and thanks Drew for the, the idea uh, and for being uh, today's guest host. Uh, listeners, uh, we really truly appreciate you taking time to join us. We hope that the information that we've shared today has been useful in, in driving your journey or enabling you to take a step of, of learning. Um, as always, we crave your feedback. Feel free to uh, provide feedback on any of the platforms that you have uh, found us on. We're all over the place, all the major uh, distribution mechanisms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, whatever. It, we're all there. So uh, hit us up. Let us know what you think of the show. Provide feedback. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you can reach the podcast at FSJ Podcast on Twitter. And uh, we'd love to hear feedback from you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. 